Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Joel Block. He's a venture capitalist, hedge fund manager, author. His newest book is called Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business. He's also known at his firm, which is called Bullseye Capital, as the chief dealmaker. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Joel. Hey, Jordan. Thanks. Uh, how are you? You've done a lot over your career. Just give us a brief summary of what you've done and how you've gotten to where you are today. Well, I started in the CPA business as a youngster. Uh, I wasn't really very well uh, cut out for it. So uh, I left that. Um, and the last account I worked on, I was at Price Waterhouse, the giant accounting firm, uh, was a big real estate syndicator, which is a company that puts investors together into deals. And I thought, boy, this is really what I want to do. Uh, the idea of putting together deals was so exciting to me. So I left and started a little teeny syndication firm and started raising money and doing deals. And, and I've, I've never looked back. I've been in that business ever since. Very good. What's the different approach from the people who are wealthy and successful from the average uh, way people invest? You know, <laughs> I'm going to simplify this a little bit, but I, I think it really uh, captures it. Uh, wealthy people have a plan. Wealthy people, uh, they don't, they don't do, uh, they, they don't, they don't do dumb things. They don't guess. Uh, they tend not to, uh, just do things they don't understand. And, and other people frequently will just, uh, they hope that something good is going to happen to them. And hope is not the best strategy in, in the investment world. You have to really know what you're doing. You have to really understand it. And you have to pick a lane and stay in your lane. Like, for example, if you really understand some topic, uh, that's kind of the area where you should stay. And, and you'll do better when you do it uh, just that way. So one of the big things you're uh, expert in is alternative investments as yes. opposed to traditional stocks, bonds, mutual funds, things like that. So let's talk about some of the alternatives that you believe in and how the average investor would be able to benefit from these kind of things. Uh, real estate is clearly one of your big ones. Well, real, so, real estate is probably the biggest alternative uh, in the country. In fact, it's probably the biggest anything in the country. And, uh, you know, and there's a couple different ways people get involved in real estate. Uh, the way most people are involved in real estate is they buy a home, and that's that's a wonderful way to buy it. Although uh, the trend is looking like young people care a lot less about buying and owning a home than uh, some of us uh, older folks. Do you but, think things have changed as far as real estate? I mean, particularly with the change in the SALT deduction, where you don't get a deduction over $10,000. That's really hurt high-end real estate and high-tax states. Has that changed the game uh, significantly in real estate as far as appreciation? You know, it it probably does. I don't know that that's uh, that that's really trickled down. Uh, you know, and the people really understand all those uh, things just yet. I, I know you're working hard to educate people about these things, but I, I think there's just you know, I, I think that uh, real estate is a boat anchor. You know, it it kind of anchors you into a community, which, by the way, is the reason it's always been such a great thing is that people that own own a home take care of their home, pride of ownership. It makes neighborhoods nice. That's why uh, ownership neighborhoods are uh, nicer typically than rental neighborhoods. And, you know, so, you know, the communities always have wanted people to buy homes, but young people don't want to be anchored into a certain community there. You know, a lot of these millennials really want something different. So, uh, you know, they're, they're looking at the world a little differently. 
but then they don't get the benefit of the escalation or appreciation that real estate brings with it because the vast majority of net worth that most people have comes right straight from their own uh, home ownership. So in addition to owning your own home, you're into real estate syndication. So for the average person that doesn't have millions of dollars to syndicate, should they go through a real estate investment trust or partnership or crowdfunding? What are some of the best ways? Yeah. Well, today? Yeah. So let's look at, let's look at a couple of these different things. So, um, you know, so you can buy your own home. That's, that's terrific. And then you have some extra money laying around. You say, okay, I'd really like to buy some real estate and you might want to buy a home, but you know what you got to understand real estate is quite uh, management intensive. It, it takes a lot of energy to own and manage real estate. So it's not for everyone. Some people will say, well, gee, I'd like to have a home and then I want to manage the tenant, uh, you know, and then of course you have trash and toilets and all the other kinds of things that come with uh, tenancies, uh, which some people don't like. So if you don't like it, the alternative to being an active investor and buying the real estate for yourself is being a passive investor and investing in uh, in some stock market vehicle like a, like a REIT, which is what you're talking about. If you're a little wealthier, then you can buy into a private placement, uh, you know, a syndication, which is a group of wealthier people. Now, not all the people have to be wealthy to uh, to come in. I mean, there sometimes they have smaller increments, uh, you know, sometimes ten or twenty or thirty thousand dollars that uh, people can invest in. Uh, but the majority of the time, uh, people who are not accredited that are kind of at the lower end of the investing scale uh, don't know who the syndicators are, the people that are putting these deals together. So. Uh, it's a little harder for people who have bring less money with them to kind of get in the game. So how can they find good syndicators? Well, you know, that that's tough. You know, when, if they were to call their stockbroker, the stockbroker would put them into a product. And the product would be something that's gone through the broker-dealer, it's gone through the network, and um, these deals have quite a lot of fees typically attached to them. Uh, it's It's really very difficult for general investors to to get these connections but the rules were made simpler in 2013 the government changed the rules uh, because a lot of uh, a lot of non-accredited non-accredited means that you make less than a couple hundred thousand dollars a year or you're not a millionaire one of the one of those two things so people and that's about 97 percent of our population of our country by the way so a lot of these people were, were finding out that they're being left out of deals and they wanted the opportunity to participate. So the government said, well, you know, these these deals are very risky. I mean, people lose money and we don't want you to lose money because we don't want to put you on welfare. So the government then kind of came up with a compromise and it really has been a really good compromise. And what they basically said is, look, um, if you want to do it, you, you know, you can invest in these kinds of things up to a certain level. You know, I think the levels are around $10,000 or so. It's a, kind of a low level. But, but they're letting people, uh, you know, invest in certain kinds of things. That's what crowdfunding is. Crowdfunding is in, in the investment crowdfunding world is investing in deals that you find out about on the Internet or elsewhere. But there, there's not an unlimited cap on how much you can invest unless you are a wealthier person, which is called an accredited investor. So the, the crowdfunding world is kind of the way that a lot of people find out uh, who these uh, syndicators are and where they can go to connect with them. Are there some specific crowdfunding platforms that you would think are better than others? You know, I don't think that the platforms are, uh, that's kind of like saying ABC, CBS, NBC, which one's better. They all yeah. have different shows. And, yeah. and so each of these platforms, you know, a syndicator will come to them and say, would you put my deal up on your platform? So it's really deal by deal. I think you really have to be careful and look at these things deal by deal. 
the difficulty for uh, earlier stage investors, people that have less experience, people that maybe aren't in a position to hire an attorney or an accountant or some other advisor is, you know, they don't necessarily know how to do due diligence on these kinds of things. Uh, you want to look into the background of the of the promoter. Now, hopefully, the uh, the crowdfunding site would already have done the basics to make sure that they don't have a criminal background. In other words, they're they're called a bad actor, uh, that they don't have some of these bad things going on, and and then you want to look at you know the uh, where's the real estate located, what's the market in that uh, in that area. In other words, if you're buying it in a certain city, uh, is how's the employment in that city, uh, how's the job growth looking in that city, how is uh, how is other activity happening in that city. Uh, you know, what are what are likely uh, trends that are going to affect that city? And you really want to try to think. And, and then you so people are saying, well, gee, I don't know any of those things. I mean, that's not my business to know those things. And that's that's kind of when people start to rely on the relationships that they start to develop with promoters. They take referrals from their friends. It's, a, you know, I mean, when you start talking about these kinds of deals, but you're making, you know, bigger returns, probably eight to 12 percent a year, sometimes even a little more. Uh, you know, you're, you're taking some risk and you have to know what you're doing. What do you look for in a syndication that you put together and are those available to the public? Well, ours, ours are generally not available to the public because we're generally working with the accredited investors. Although once in a while, we'll t- depending on, the, there's a couple different sets of rules, but once in a while we'll take a non-accredited. Uh, if they're referred to us, if maybe they're a friend or they're a relative, there's they're some they're kind of an, somebody who's inside. So there's always room, typically speaking, uh, for a non-accredited person to come in if you're if you kind of find your way into the group. Um, and you know these people, uh, the people. The, here's the interesting thing: it's kind of like uh, you know how the internet made it easier for employers to find employees and people who are looking for jobs could find jobs. It's sort of the same thing with this: is that syndicators are looking for investors and investors are looking for syndicators and they have a hard time finding one another. And you know, the syndicators are out there looking for money and capital all the time. And investors are looking for a place to put their cash all the time. And, and you just have to be on the lookout for it. Um, you know, and, and, and if people want to reach out to me, I would be happy to, uh, uh, you know, maybe introduce them to somebody. I, I don't want to take responsibility. I'm not a broker. I don't get paid for brokering and I generally don't refer capital. Uh, yeah. to deals because I don't like to be responsible, but you know, but I, I, I know, I know a lot of guys that put these kind of deals together because one of the things my firm does is we teach real estate investors how to set up syndications and funds. We, we probably run one of the biggest companies in the country that teaches people how to set up these syndications and funds, how to raise money properly, how to, you know, how to organize it, how to work with investors. So we teach them uh, how to do this. And so, uh, these are not inexperienced people who don't know what they're doing. They just maybe haven't raised money the way Wall Street raises money, but they've been doing deals for a long time. They just want to kind of step up uh, their game and raise their money a little better. And this so, is usually residential or commercial properties that you're doing deals in, or both. You know, it's 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 uh, it's really deal agnostic. It's it's asset class agnostic. So it could be residential, it could be commercial, it could be industrial, it could be assisted living facilities, uh, it could be ground up development. I mean, it really every here's the thing is that every syndicator brings with him or her a certain expertise in an asset class. Some people are expert developers and they want to raise their money for a development. Now, those are more risky than buying an apartment building that's AAA that's going to just pay rent. So that's why the investor has to get really clear on what it is they want to do. Do they want to go into a deal where they're going to take more risk, less risk? Now, here's another uh, distinction. 
is there are deals like I want to work on this. I want to invest in a deal that's going to build some houses or they can invest in a fund that's going to do three, four, five, six, ten different things. So they get a little bit of diversification of their assets uh, just in case one apartment building doesn't work out that great. The other one uh, is going to work out better and, and that's going to be better. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Joel Block. Uh, he is the chief dealmaker at Bullseye Capital. Uh, he's also the author of a book we're going to talk about later called Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business. His website is joelblock.com. We'll be back after this. Growing a business is hard, especially when you're wasting hours every day moving data from emails to spreadsheets to your customer relationship system. Shouldn't that kind of stuff just happen without you having to lift a finger? Well, Zapier can help. Zapier is the easiest way to automate your work. It connects all your business software and handles work for you so you can focus on the things that matter most. You don't have to waste your time on tasks that could be automated because that's exactly what Zapier does for you. I gave it a try and it was amazing at how all the tasks I used to have to do separately all now happen automatically. Just go to the special link zapier.com slash moneyanswers Connect the apps you use most and let Zapier take it from there. Zapier lets you in instantly engage with leads, send them to your customer relationship system or spreadsheet, then notify your team so they can get back to prospects quickly. And that's just scratching the surface. Zapier supports more than 1,500 business applications, so the possibilities are virtually endless. Best of all, it's easy to build the exact solution you need in minutes without writing code or asking a developer for help. Join the more than 4.5 million people who are saving an average of 40 hours a month using Zapier. Right now through November, you can try Zapier for free by going to the special link at zapier.com slash moneyanswers. That's Z-A-P-I-E-R dot com slash moneyanswers for your free 14-day trial. Zapier.com slash moneyanswers. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Joel Block. He's a venture capitalist, hedge fund manager, 
He helps people syndicate real estate. He's also the author of a book called Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business. And he's the chief dealmaker at Bullseye Capital. Uh, you can find out more at his website, joelblock.com. Welcome back to the show, Joel. Hey, Jordan. Thanks. So we talked about real estate, but some other alternative investments you're involved in would include private equity. So maybe describe what private equity is and how people can get into it and what the benefits are of investing in private equity. Well, pri private equity is a huge umbrella. So really anything, any capital that's not public and public capital is stock market capital. So any capital that comes from any private source is private equity. So uh, when you buy real estate, uh, that could be private equity. When, it, when companies buy other companies, they use uh, private equity. A venture capital is a form of private equity. So it's it's all equity capital or cash that people put into the pot, uh, investors, that doesn't go through the stock market. So it's it falls into this bucket called alternative that we're talking about. It's not stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. And basically the big difference between alternatives and the regular stuff is that the alternatives are not commissioned. Uh, they don't get paid commissions the same way by the brokerage firms. Uh, because they're not regulated the same way, and and they're they're just different. So they're um, they're under they're unregulated, or they're they're regulated differently, and they're just a whole different bucket. So and there's a whole bunch of different uh, alternative investments inside of the private equity space. So the, the criticism lately has been there's so much private money going into technology firms, particularly in all kinds of other ones, that by the time those companies come public most of the gains have already been achieved before it even gets public. Is, is that true? Is, is too much money going into these companies privately? Well, that's not, this is not a new problem and it's not because too much money goes in. It's because retail investors and retail investors are those 99% of the people who are just regular folks. I mean, that's not really, except for the professionals, everybody else is a retail investor. Um, and here's what happens. I mean, think about, think about a company like Facebook because everybody knows Facebook. And everybody kind of knows about this deal. So, you know, when it first got started, Mark Zuckerberg, he's in college, and he says to some people, uh, I, I need a little money to put my company together. And somebody says, here, I'll give you 10000 Somebody else give him 10000 And that person might have got 1% of the company or 2% of the company. And that's called the private placement phase. Place means to sell. So when you're selling shares privately, so Mark Zuckerberg set up an LLC and started selling little shares to take in some cash and he sold a little bit of his company, a little bit of his company. The risk, of course, is that you sell the too, you, you give away too much, and then you know, there's nothing left for the promoter. So you want to, you know, price the shares in a way where you get to hold on to a bunch. So he prices the shares uh, at a penny each, two pennies each, three pennies. And then there was a story about a painter that came in and painted a mural, and they said, uh, "Here's here's some shares. <laughs> we don't have any money." So they gave him some shares of stock, and then later on, of course, they go public. And that painter got $200 million uh, for the stock for painting a mural uh, at Facebook. That was but a good that's, deal. <laughs> the money always gets made in the private placement phase. The big money does not get made in the stock market. The stock market, the IPO, that's when the, the founders, the early stage people, have the opportunity to release the uh, equity into their uh, of their shares into the marketplace. So all of a sudden now, they can sell it. The problem with a private placement when you buy in real early, number one, a lot of companies don't make it. I mean, we always hear about Facebooks and things, but you gotta remember, 
uh, you know, 99.9% of companies don't make it. They don't, they don't become what's called a unicorn, which goes to a billion dollars valuation. And that doesn't happen. So the, uh, the founders release their equity, you know, in a, uh, when it goes public and the regular people, when you bought Facebook, you bought it at $45. And now a couple of, you know, what, five, seven years later, it's worth uh, close to 200, which is really good. They, they, they went up by four times, but the founders go up by thousands and thousands of percent. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's not a new problem, Jordan. This is just the way it works. Uh, yeah. the, the the great amount of risk it's taken. The earlier stage people take the great amount of risk because they they have the risk of failure. By the time it goes public and it's been examined by the regulators, there's some risk, but it's it's market risk. It's not uh, going concern risk always. Are there some other ways to play private equity without being a multimillionaire? For example, buying uh, the Blackstones of the world or the companies that are the private equity players. Is is that a, a better way to play private? Well, it's- you know, it's really tough because the, the government very deliberately does not really want uh, people with limited means playing ball in this arena. They, it, it's a risky game. A lot of people lose money. And, you know, what they don't want is a hardworking person to bet their life savings on something that goes down the drain, either either because they tried hard and it didn't work out. It was a failed concept uh, because of cheating or fraud or some other problem. They don't. The government doesn't want hardworking people to take their money and put it into, you know, these types of deals. Uh, even though these are the deals that would make people rich, they also potentially are deals that could make people broke. Yeah. And and so, uh, you know, there's actually a formula that Yale University pioneered, the Yale Endowment Formula, that says, you know, you take uh, 80% of your money and you put it into, you know, pretty liquid stuff, the regular traditional stuff. 20% goes into alternatives, and of those alternatives, a small fraction goes into high-risk private equity. Uh, there's you know, there's medium-risk high, uh, private equity. There's lower-risk private equity. But the answer to the question is how do people get involved in it? It's hard because the government doesn't really want people doing this because it really is uh, it's a risky place. So they've made it hard for people to get in. So either you have to know somebody and you can get in, you know, as, as kind of through a side door uh, as, a, as an accredited or as a non-accredited investor into a deal. Or uh, you can you can now go through some of these crowdfunding opportunities, yeah. uh, you know, and, and some of those are, are kind of good. But they're not, you know, those aren't secret deals. And, you know, listen, uh, people don't call and say, you want to get into Uber. They, they, they may, but, but when they call you, you don't know that it's an Uber at that time. You know, yes. when they're calling you... Uh, you know, you're you're taking a big risk. That's why the people get paid a lot of money. Yeah. So, what is your evaluation of the recent deals on the IPO and the initial public offering market? We had WeWork that got pulled. Uh, Peloton went down. Uh, Slack, Uber, Lyft, all these companies we thought were going to be doing so well have not done well in the aftermarket. What do you think's going on here? Well, you know, when that happens, what it means is that the underwriters are not pricing uh, these things properly, and um, you know, the one that did really well, the really great one was Zoom. Well, there actually was that other one that um, I think it was the the vegan one did really well, too. But beyond, Zoom, beyond meat, Zoom, right, beyond, right, exactly. But Zoom did very well. They, I think they priced it, you know, like around 70 or so, 68 or 70, and it immediately went uh, into the 80s. And that's just a great company. They've got a great business model. It's not a high-risk deal. It's really stable, and people really like it. Now, some of these other ones, you know, they're just 
Uber, Lyft, these companies have problems. They have fundamental problems. And in a certain way, uh, you know, companies go public for different reasons. They go public because it's time. They want to access uh, a better capital. Facebook didn't really want to go public, but they got forced into it because they had so many uh, shareholders. People were, were, were trading their stock and they couldn't control it. So they had to they had to go public. They were forced into it. So there are different reasons that companies do it. Some companies just really aren't ready to go public when they go public. And, and maintaining the stock price is terribly difficult for some of these companies. So would you recommend people buy IPOs if they can't get on the initial share after it comes out or wait for it to settle down? What do you recommend on that area? You know, I, I, used, to, uh, I used to love to go into the IPO uh, marketplace. I used to love doing that. I don't really do it too much anymore. But, uh, you know, it's, it's gambling. It's just speculative. Uh, it's speculation and gambling because you don't you don't know what exactly is going to happen. Now everybody kind of had a sense that Facebook was going to do well. Everybody wanted. There was a lot of pent up demand for it. But you know there was a lot of pent up demand for Uber. And and the second it went public, the, the thing you know kind of took uh, a pretty significant hit. So it's a fun thing to do. I mean, it, it makes your it makes your heart race. It's really exciting. But I don't know as a financial strategy, as a planner, that uh, that that's the best thing to do. And I'm not a planner. I don't give people advice about what to do with their money. I'm, I'm an investor. I'm not. A, I don't give other people advice. But I would tell you that it's a lot of fun. But I don't know that you can uh, fund your retirement doing this. Okay, very good. Another area you're interested in is the the blockchain and Bitcoin. Uh, is is Bitcoin a, a flash in the pan or is it real? What what's what's going to happen with Bitcoin? I think Bitcoin is is real. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of issues that are related here. Number one, uh, the governments uh, around the world are terrified of this. They're just terrified. They don't like it. Uh, they're worried about it uh, because part of the way the governments stay in control is they control the currency. And all of a sudden now we have a currency that the government doesn't understand. They can't really tax. They can't really organize. They can't collect. So there, there's all sorts of problems with Bitcoin from the perspective of the government. And to my, in my mind, until the government kind of gets its arms around it, it can't really be legitimized. Now, Facebook is launching its own currency. They're going to have a competitive currency with Bitcoin. Uh, because it's being launched by a major uh, company, a company that the government isn't that crazy about, by the way, but, but it's, uh, because it's being launched by a, a substantial company, I would say that their, uh, that their Bitcoin product, whatever they call it, is going to have some – what's that? They're calling it Libra. Perfect. Yeah. So their their product will probably have a good chance of becoming real. The other thing is that because it's because it's backed by so much uh, capital, um, it'll bring uh, certain kinds of uh, you know negotiations to the table between different countries, and uh, all those things will start to come together. I think that becomes a a substantial uh, reason that that it might happen. So and, would you put some risk capital into Bitcoin? You know, uh, again, I would take a small amount, take three or five percent. And, and again, I'm not prescribing what people should do. It's not what I do. But, uh, you know, I don't think it hurts to take a peel off a small amount, you know, and and buy five hundred or a thousand dollars and fool around with it and see what happens. If it's something that if you can afford to lose that, then give it a try and kind of become comfortable with it. I mean, Bitcoin had a rough week. One of the reasons that Bitcoin is a really big problem is like the, the United States dollar is always worth a dollar. You know, Bitcoin, you buy something for a dollar, tomorrow could be worth five bucks, and then the day after that, it'd be worth 10 cents. And that yeah. makes it really hard to use as a currency. Very good. Okay, we're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Joel Block. 
Uh, he is a venture capitalist, hedge fund manager. Uh, his book is called Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business. You can find out more at his website, joelblock.com. And we'll be back after this. ClearBank is changing the way entrepreneurs raise money by providing equity-free capital. Co-founder Michelle Romanow, who is star of Canada's Dragon's Den TV show, which is the Canadian version of Shark Tank, co-founded ClearBank with her partner Andrew D'Souza after seeing how many companies were willing to part with precious equity in exchange for marketing money. ClearBank believes that founders shouldn't have to give up a piece of their company to fund marketing and inventory expenses. ClearBank can provide your company with $10,000 to $10 million without having to give up a stake in your firm. You can get a term sheet with all the details in less than 20 minutes once you contact them. ClearBank charges a small, flat fee for the capital, and you pay them back by sharing in the revenue that your company generates by expanding its marketing. It's not a loan. There's no interest rate, no fixed maturity date, no personal guarantees, no credit checks, and no financial covenants. ClearBank also connects you to marketing agencies, e-commerce professionals, venture capitalists, accountants, and others to help your business grow. ClearBank invested over $150 million in 2018 and is on track to invest over $1 billion this year. Some notable companies they've helped invest in are Public Goods, Lisa Sleep, and Latote. So if your business is generating over $10,000 a month in revenue, find out how you can qualify for ClearBank Capital by getting your term sheet in 20 minutes at clearbank.com slash answers. That's C-L-E-A-R-B-A-N-C dot com slash answers. ClearBank, get back to doing what you love most, growing your business. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Joel Block. He's a venture capitalist, hedge fund manager. He is the author of a book called Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business. You can find out more at his website, Joel Block. Welcome back to the show, Joel. 
Thanks, Jordan. One of the things you've produced is what you call Competing on Capital 2020, which is a whole bunch of different concepts about capital. Just describe the, the concept before we get into some of the details and tell people how they can get it. Well, first of all, the, the, the primary concept is that, uh, you know, I've spent my life uh, in the Wall Street business and money people have a different way of looking at some things. And uh, we tend to, you know, lead the market. We kind of tend to try to tell companies how they can enhance their value. And the biggest companies get enormously good intel from Wall Street about what to do. Smaller and medium-sized companies do not get the same intel. So uh, my consulting, my advisory, and my keynote speeches really are about bringing a Wall Street quality intel to the middle market. And that's really important to me. So we produced a series of trends uh, that we see business trends that are affecting uh, all companies across the spectrum. Uh, the biggest companies already know about a lot of this stuff because they're getting a lot of this intel. Littler companies just simply are not getting this intel. And that's what this is about. So we're going to bring this. Uh, we can talk about a couple of these trends uh, here right now. How could people get the full report? There is a, a place they can text. Yeah, they, first, if, if they want the full report, they can have it for free. Uh, take out your, your mobile phone, open the texting app, uh, to, uh, and then put in the number 72,000. That's uh, 72,000. And then text the word TREND. So text the word TREND to 72,000, and we'll send it right out to you. Very good. The first one is in the, ca the category of what you call financial capital, and that idea is that fruit trees topple treadmills. What do you mean by that? Well, that's kind of a funny, it's a funny thing, fruit trees. But, you know, one of the things that uh, Wall Street started telling companies, uh, you know, some years ago is that we don't like this gig to gig revenue. We don't like transactional activity. We don't like it. Uh, we don't like not knowing what next month is going to be. So we would prefer you to have some stable, recurring kind of income. And, and that really has turned into subscription revenue. So I don't know about you, and I don't know about all your listeners, but 10 years ago, I had absolutely zero uh, recurring charges hitting my credit card. And at last count, I now have 43 different things that hit my credit card every single month. I, yeah. I don't know about you. Yes, yeah, same. Right. Mm. <laughs> you know, we have Netflix. We have Hulu. We, we, we <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We have so many different things. And I'm not talking about like our utilities and the regular bills of our family. I mean, we just, all these little things... I mean, people talk about being subscription poor nowadays. And so Wall Street said to these companies, look, we want you to go out and get subscription-based revenue, recurring revenue. And here's what we're going to do. If you convert your gig-to-gig -gig revenue, your transaction revenue into subscription, we're going to give you a higher multiple. So, you know, people probably know that there's this, uh, you know, multiplier, price-earnings ratio. And, and a lot of companies, let's say it's 10. But if you get years to be recurring then we'll make it 20. And, and so the price of your stock will go higher. Because it's more predictable and people it's, don't have to worry. Exactly. It's more predictable. It's, yeah. uh, it's, it's more bankable. It just, it's better. It's better revenue and everybody can kind of sleep at night better knowing they have this. So let me give you a couple of examples of big companies that have done this and what's happened to them. And what's important is that our, the little companies need to take this kind of intel and they need to really... Uh, put it to work for them because this is not the kind of intel that you get every day walking along on the street. You don't read it in the newspaper, okay? So here we go. So the first thing is, so Microsoft in 2011, uh, they used to be in the business of selling software. You know, they're not in that business anymore. They're, now they're in the business of renting software. They've completely changed their business. So what they used to do is they used to sell office, uh, the office suite, 
And then in 2011, they came out with Office 365. And they said, uh, hey, you can you can rent this, like uh, pay $10 a month or whatever, and you'll have it, and you'll get the upgrades. And um, nothing really happened. It didn't really take off for a while. But by 13-14, 2013-14, it starts to kind of take off. And all of a sudden, it starts taking off like a rocket ship. And that's called the hockey stick. That's that, that curve is the inflection point, And it starts going higher. And, you know, from 2014, when that product took off till now, their stock price is up about 400% when the rest of the market is up about 30%. So you tell me if it's a coincidence that Microsoft got all that lift just out of thin air. I don't think so. Yeah. The second okay. one, mm -hmm. Amazon. So Amazon, they're a subscription business. They've got their their uh, their Prime membership for 100 and uh, used to be $100. And one day they wake up and they say, "Okay, we're raising the price uh, from 100 to 120." I, I don't know why, maybe they have higher costs, whatever, it doesn't matter what the reason is. But the day that they raised the price from 100 to 120, their stock price went up $400 billion, something like that. It was just some astronomical amount of value escalation from a $20 increase in the price of their subscription. Yeah. So this is true not only for the businesses, but as an investor, you want to look for companies that have subscription business models as well. Is that right? That, that's, that, that's exactly. So whether you're a business owner or you're an investor in other businesses, Companies that have higher, uh, that have this subscription model are getting higher valuations. Now, maybe a trick could be finding companies that are in the process of converting to subscription because they haven't yet got the lift. And they're yeah. going to get the lift here coming up sometime soon. Your next one is what you call fixed costs are a boat anchor. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean, you know, look, we, we live in a world where things are moving fast. I mean, really fast. And these companies that have too much legacy costs the difficulties for the car companies is that they have these contracts for uh, for pensions and other kinds of things with the unions that they just can't get out from under. So it enables uh, a very quick, uh, better capitalized, less uh, encumbered kind of competitor to come in and, and supersede them in the marketplace. So when you've got uh, a lot of fixed costs, uh, you really find yourself in a world of hurt. So the advice to uh, these middle-sized companies and for the companies that you're investing in, these are things that, as investors, you should be looking at. Uh, you know, do they have a lot of fixed costs? Or are they a boat anchor? Because they should be trying to you know, rid themselves of these kinds of things to be a little bit more flexible and nimble going forward. If they don't have flexibility, then their ability to be nimble is is forget about it. And related to that is your next one, which is what you call asset Uberization, so that's not having assets, but having be able to rent them or exactly. So, so you can either either, and that goes in both directions. So you can either rent other people's assets, or you can rent out your own assets. And companies are really looking hard at this. I mean, they really need to look hard at this. That um, you know, do they have assets that they're not utilizing properly? Do they have office space that they're not using properly? Do they have machinery and equipment that they're not utilizing thoroughly? I mean, you're paying some lease company uh, to use this equipment, and if you don't use it properly, then uh, you know, then you're you're wasting money. So companies are finding new ways to be efficient, and they're finding new ways to uh, consider exactly what it is that they're about and why they're doing it. And it's this is a very it's a these are very significant points that they need to pay attention to. And this is not only businesses, but individuals are lending out 
their backyards and their pools and their cars, right? It's kind of the gig. Yeah, I mean, listen, this this is it's a concept. And again, this is something millennials just they wake up and, and they just it's very interesting. Millennials, as much as they're modern people, uh, they've got a certain old fashioned sense about about not being wasteful. They don't yeah. want to waste resources. So if they've got a, a if you got a car and you're not using it too much, I mean, let's think about our cars. This is an interesting way to think about this. You know, the car companies kind of convinced us a long time ago when we started doing leases that you should use your car about 5%. And, and where 5% comes from is uh, you got all these hours in the day and you can use your car for about 1,000 miles a month or 12,000 miles a year. Well, it takes it takes about, what, 16 hours or so to drive 1,000 miles approximately if you're driving on a freeway somewhere. So that's about 5%. The other 95% is sitting in your in your driveway. Well, that's not a very good model. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense for a car to sit in your driveway for the other, uh, you know, 95% of the time. So if somebody's got a, a, a car that uh, that's sitting around, why not use it? You know, why not share it? And that's what Uber capitalized on. A whole made a whole Uber made a whole business out of sharing assets. And now all these other things are popping up. Uh, you know, there's this. Uh, if you got a swimming pool, people can borrow your swimming pool. If you got a backyard, then when you like dogs, and people can use your backyard if they have apartments and they don't have dog, if they don't have a backyard. So there's all kinds of different ways that people can interact and take advantage of of somebody else's assets. And there are things that you can monetize. So there are ways that people are making money uh, that they never could make money before. And yeah. you know, and that's of course the government's trying to get their hand in some of these things, and they're having a little bit of a hard time, but. But that'll that'll get fixed. Okay. Then you also have what you call human capital. That was financial capital. One of your ideas is that business is not about money; it's about people. Is that something that people often get wrong? Well, listen. To me, uh, there's too much focus. As much as I'm in the money business, uh, the one thing that I, I know I've been in the money business long enough to know is that business is not really about money at all. Business is about people, and people make money. So if you treat your people right, you wind them up, you point them in the right direction, you educate them, you train them, you get them really, really sharp, you get them excited about whatever it is that you're doing. If you get them moving in the right direction, they'll make you all the money that you want. And that's really uh, that's really important. You know, and, But you have to motivate the people the right way. You have to incentivize them the right way. I mean, you have to treat them the right way. But if the focus is on the money, you will not be successful. You really need to focus on your people because that's the, that's kind of the whole thing. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Joel Block. He's a venture capitalist, hedge fund manager. Uh, his book is called Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business. Uh, he has the Competing on Capital report we just talked about. You can find out more about him at his website, joelblock.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24 7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. 
There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Joel Block, a venture capitalist, hedge fund manager, and author of the book called Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business. You can find out more about him at his website, joelblock.com. Welcome back to the show, Joel. Thanks, Jordan. So just talk about this book a little bit. What is the difference in, in creating a business, starting a business, as opposed to, as you call it, hustling gigs? Well, you know, in, my, in my mind, a business is a machine that generates money, and you have to run your business as a machine. And what most people are doing is they just jump from gig to gig to gig, and uh, and they, they never really get anywhere. They they make a hundred bucks. They spend a hundred bucks. Then they then they keep working, making another hundred bucks, spend another hundred bucks. They never they never really create a business. They never really create an asset or any kind of a machine that's doing any work for them. They're always doing all the heavy lifting. And the goal is ultimately to get the machine to do some or all of the heavy lifting for you. And then ultimately you sell the machine later on to somebody else. Yeah. So let's go through some of the things you you say. The beginning is to see money the way Wall Street sees money. And your first rule is to be a street fighter. What do you mean by that? Well, you know, listen, uh, we, we have to, you know, we have to be agile. We have to be quick, nimble. We have to really think uh, in, in a funny way. Uh, we just have to be on our toes all the time. And that's what it means. You can't be complacent. Uh, the money business is changing all the time. The world of business is changing all the time. And you just have to stay uh, up to speed. It, it's, you know, all these concepts are really, they're really, some of them are fundamental. Some are, are more uh, substantial than, than others. But the one thing that they all have in common is that successful business people do certain things. They look at the world in a certain way. And, and that's what I want to help, uh, you know, people to, uh, to achieve is to see the world in a way that will help them be successful. You also say that you should avoid being hired. What do you mean by that? Oh, that's, listen, this is one of the most important ones is, um, you know, if you want to be an employee, uh, that's fine. You go be an employee. Then, of course, you never have anything to sell. You don't have, uh, you know, necessarily a lot of upside. Maybe you do. Maybe you have a great commission opportunity. I don't know. But you don't have anything to sell at the end of the day. Um, in my case, uh, you know, when I first started in business, um, I didn't want to be hired. I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to own the things that I did, and that was that was very critical uh, to me personally. So uh, I just uh, everything that I did, I rendered it, you know, myself. I kind of start. I, I wanted to own the things that I did, the services that I that I uh, sold, and and that was just a, a key thing for me. It was an attitude that I didn't want to be hired. I, I really wanted to own the things that I did, and. And that, you know, I, I think that that applies to a lot of people is don't let people rent your brain instead of renting it, uh, apply it, you know, to something for yourself and, you know, and, and let your family get the benefit of, of your smarts instead of renting it to other people all the time. Yeah. 
I mean, a lot of people are trained going through school to be employees and not entrepreneurs. What is the shift in mindset that makes for a successful entrepreneur as opposed to an employee? Well, th- well, first of all, our, our whole education system, which is, which is an old system, it's a rather military system, uh, really teaches people to be employees. It, you know, we, we're teaching people to be soldiers, not generals. And entrepreneurs are generals. They're the people who are kind of in charge. And uh, that's not really uh, what we train as a society. Uh, you know, if you want to go get an MBA, you want to get an advanced degree, that's great. But understand that if you're self-employed, that that's worthless. It's not really a valuable uh, piece of paper for you. Now, in an employment environment, it might be very important to help you climb the ladder and get to the next place in your life. But uh, as an entrepreneur, you want to be more focused on skills, uh, the acquisition of skills, than the acquisition of paperwork. The paperwork isn't really going to help you. Uh, yeah. As a corporate type person, you want to get skills and you want to get paperwork because the uh, the paperwork is is of value in your environment. So we just have an educational system. Uh, I think it falls short because the economy has changed. The 2020 economy going forward is really a different economy than we've ever had before, and we really we're not entirely prepared for it. And we need to really uh, make sure that people aren't being left behind. One of the principles you use is to build your revenue octopus. So what do you mean by that? Well, the revenue octopus, is, this is really important. You know, great businesses have multiple streams of revenue that flow into them. And all great businesses do. So if you are uh, an accountant and you just do one thing, or you're a haircutter and you just do one thing, uh, that's not a great way to make your living. So in other words, you want to go deep with people. So let's say you're a haircutter. And you, uh, the person comes in for a haircut and you say, well, gee, would you like to put a little color in your hair? Yeah, I'll put a little color in my hair. And then would you like an extra special hair, hair uh, washer? I, I don't know what the things are they do. But, you know, once the person is sitting there, you offer them more and more things. And that's, that's the concept of a revenue walk. But you want to have a, at least four, six, eight different revenue streams coming out of your business because that makes for a successful business. And what it does, it helps you to avoid concentration, which is over-dependence on a certain revenue stream. It avoids seasonality. Think about these uh, these stores that at Christmas time, eighty you know what sixty percent of all their money comes in at Christmas time. These retailers and the rest of the year they're they're kind of slow. That's very very dangerous. So they got to build a revenue octopus that brings in money the rest of the year, so that they're not entirely dependent on just one little thing. Um, think about cruise ships. You know this is this is funny. Or hotels. You, you know you go to the cruise ship and you say uh, you buy your room, you board the ship. And and then by the way, then they launch a nuclear assault on your credit card. <laughs> yes, that's the octopus. Yes, that's you know. But they they'll say you know they'll they'll sell you booze. They'll sell you uh, a casino. There's casino. Uh, there's excursions. Uh, there's upgraded food. There's upgraded cabins. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, they have so many ways of making money. They have candy stores and liquor stores, and they have this and that. And they're they have photographers going around taking pictures of you all the time. I mean, there's so many different ways that they make money. And they're proud of it. They're they're really and you know what? As consumers, we love it because uh, everything that they want, if they if we don't want what they have, we say no. But a lot of times we say yes because we want the things that they're selling us. For whatever reason, self-employed people just either they feel embarrassed or they have a hard time. But they aren't making those same kind of offers uh, to our customers, saying, "Would you like more stuff?" Think about this from the perspective of the customer. If they like you, uh, let's say the plumber, you hire a plumber. 
the person does a very fine job, uh, solves the problem, and six months later, you got another problem. What are you going to do? Go to the yellow pages and, and look for a new plumber? No, you're going to call the same person because they did a good job. You don't want to have to start over again. It's the same thing with all of us, is that our customers want to do more business with us. We just have to give them more opportunities, and we have to get them to understand what it is that we do, uh, because otherwise, they don't know to ask for our help. And and that's really incumbent on us. So there's a marketing component here, but that's that's really the bottom line, is that we really yeah. have to help people to get to know us so they can do more business. So we've covered a lot of ground here. Why don't you kind of sum up the difference it'll make in people's lives if they invest with what we talked about, the alternative investments, if they run their business as a business instead of a gig, kind of sum up what all this will do for people. Well, you know, listen, I, everything, everything that I talk about, it all kind of, you know, it, it all kind of evolves in the same, the same way. It kind of revolves around the same things that, if people really want to have control of their situation, control of their investments, control of their money, control of their life, control of their of their attitude, their approach to how they feel about things, then they have to take some steps to uh, to be in charge. And and the things that we're talking about, you know, maybe uh, going into a couple of these alternatives, maybe that's going to help them. I wouldn't put so much that you put your family at risk, but you know, you put a few dollars, and that way maybe you have uh, you know some extra some extra return on some of your money. And the way you run your business, and the way or the way you look at other companies that you're going to invest in, I mean, some of the things that we're talking about, whether they're the trends or the or the uh, the stop hustling gigs, the the ideas, I mean, look for companies that are doing these things. So if you're not going to build your own business, look for companies that are doing these kinds of things because those are probably better companies than other kinds of companies. And if you can do that, uh, you'll be more successful. So both in your own business and what you invest in kind of take these ideas of having continual revenue streams and revenue octopuses. It's not only something you have to do yourself, but if you have other people, you can participate with them. Is that what you're saying? I, I would say so. I would say that, you know, if I was looking to invest in a company, I would want to invest or get involved in companies that had a good revenue octopus. If somebody said, hey, Joel, would you invest in my company? And I'd say, what are your revenue streams? Well, we only have one. Well, you know what? One's not good enough. I mean, that yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a surefire uh, losing formula. So, uh, that's that's how I look at things. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Joel Block. He's a venture capitalist, hedge fund manager, author of the book we discussed, Stop Hustling Gigs and Start Building a Business. You can find out more about him at his website, joelblock.com, and also get a free copy of the Competing on Capital 2020 we talked about as well. Thanks so much for being a great guest on the Money Answer Show, Joel. Thanks, Jordan. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.